Morning, everybody. Mm. I'm afraid you caught me. Happy Easter to you. It's it's Resurrection Sunday, and how much we have needed this day. I mean, we can't think of an Easter in recent memory where there has been a bigger need for hope, for something that would breathe life into the human spirit. It was just a month ago that so many people felt like we were standing on solid ground, and now we find ourselves in circumstances that we never could have predicted. A lot of people are feeling anxious. We're facing pressures that we never could have imagined. We're faced with decisions for which there are no easy answers. And we wonder, what are things going to look like a month from now, a year from now? Nobody ever wants to go through these seasons, these hard times. But when those seasons come, they have a way of making you ask, what is it that I'm really counting on? Am I building my life on a foundation that's solid enough that circumstances circumstances beyond my control can't take it away? So I've been looking forward, like you, to this Easter for a time to gather and remember the only hope that's capable of sustaining a human life through everything. People haven't gathered together for the past 2,000 years to say, The quarantine has been lifted. It has been lifted indeed. And we've not gathered to say the stock market has risen. It's risen indeed, or the recovery rate has risen. There is one hope, and it has held up human beings across every continent and culture for two millennia of challenging times of poverty and disease and pain and hardship and death itself. And you know what it is. Christ is risen. And if you are not alone in your uh, in your house today, let you. I'm going to invite you just to turn to somebody next to you and say that Christ is risen, and they'll say back to you, "He is risen indeed." Would you do that? If it's just you and your dog, say to the dog, "Christ is risen." If it's just you and your cat, well, you don't have to say it. Cats know it already. He is risen indeed. Jesus said, "I am the resurrection and the life." It's the last one of those seven powerful I am statements in the Gospel of John. We've been reflecting on each of them through the course of the week. And as with all the other sayings, we want to listen carefully to what Jesus is saying. What's he saying about himself? What's he saying about God? What's he saying about us? I am the resurrection and the life. I expect that usually when we think about Easter, we think of it as something that happened to Jesus. It's almost as if Jesus was the patient, the doctor, in this case, God. He performs some kind of life-restoring procedure, and the patient recovers. Or in some way, Jesus was the victim, and the resurrection is something that happened to him. After all, you know, it was, it was kind of that way with all the other resurrections that are recorded in the Bible. Jesus stopped a funeral procession, the widow of Nain, the son had died, and, and commanded the young man to get up. He took the little hand of the daughter of Jairus and commanded the girl to rise. He spoke into the darkness of a tomb and commanded Lazarus to come forth. But when the Bible talks about Jesus, it doesn't speak of the resurrection just as something that happened to him as if he were just a patient or a victim. Again, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. If you're taking notes, let me invite you to write this down. The resurrection wasn't just something that happened to Jesus. It was something that happened through him. 
The resurrection wasn't just something that happened to him. It was something that happened through him. Think about what happened that first Easter. Jesus didn't have to be shaken awake. He didn't have to be unwrapped from his burial clothes or called forth from the grave. He didn't have to be let out of the tomb. What happened? Christ arose. He arose from the grave in the same way that we rise up after a night's sleep. He passed through the burial wrappings in the same way he later passed through walls. He passed through the stone blocking the tomb's entrance. The stone wasn't rolled away for his benefit, but for ours, to let us know that Christ has opened the door. The resurrection didn't just happen to him. It happened through him. On Easter morning, he's not just saying, I am the resurrection. He's saying, I am your resurrection. I have been raised for you. Behold, it says in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 8, Behold, I have set before you an open door. John 10, verse 9. One of the scriptures we reflected on this week. John 10, 9 says, I am the door. I am the door, and everyone who comes through me will be saved. It's the most important door in your life. There'll be lots of other doors that you go through and many that you pass by, but but none like this one. You know, doors are a recurring image in the Bible. More than 400 times they're used. They're used often as a metaphor for opportunity, the kind of thing that God wants to do with your life. There are doors to happiness. There are doors to sadness. Some lead to success, others to failure. But your success, your happiness in life will be determined largely by the doors that you walk through and the doors that you walk past. And the problem is, as you well know, that too often we go through the wrong doors. We've all done it sometimes. And sometimes we go through the wrong door and we realize it, and it takes months, even years, to get back on track. How do you know when it's the right door? How do you know when it's the wrong one? Most people miss the doors that God set up for their lives for three simple reasons. One, we don't recognize them. Or two, we're not prepared for them when they come. Or three, even though we recognize them, we lack the courage to go through. Today, I'd like to think with you about that door that Jesus opened on Easter morning, a doorway to freedom. And I'm going to suggest, as as Mary did powerfully in her testimony, that yes, Easter is all about resurrection. Yes, that's the promise of an eternal future, but there's also something that happens now, in the moment. Resurrection life begins now. Jesus says, I am that door, and if you go through that door, you will be saved. The message of the Bible from beginning to end has this one major theme, that God wants people to be free. Some of the doors that God places before us are entrances to something good, something freeing, something that allows us to enjoy the wide open spaces of life. But some actually are kind of exits. Because before you can get where God wants you to be, you've got to get out of where you are. You need to take an exit door. One of those You could think of it almost like an exit door from the prison that you're in. And you may say, well, wait a minute, I'm not in prison. I've never been locked up. You don't have to be behind bars to be in prison. A relationship can be a prison. Many of you know what I'm talking about. You've been in one of those relationships where you feel I'm trapped. I can't get out. I can't go on. I'm just stuck. Debt can be a prison. 
I'm in so much debt. It feels like I'm suffocating, like I'm drowning, paralyzed. A habit can be a prison. An addiction can be a prison. The expectations that others have of us can be like a prison. I've got to do what my parents want me to do. And so instead of living your own life, you're trapped in the prison of somebody else's expectations. The painful memory can be a prison. You've gone through some traumatic experience in your life, some crippling failure, and you just never managed to get past it. You're stuck. You can be trapped in prisons of depression or discouragement or despair. And you can be held captive in prisons of guilt or a prison of shame. Maybe just to to make it really tangible and to make it actually quite concrete, up until a month ago, most of you wouldn't said that you didn't feel like you were in prison at all, but, but things have really changed, haven't they? Here we are, quarantined, isolated, many unemployed, most anxious, often alone. These days, these days of lockdown, have us asking questions about what is it that's really essential in our lives? And, you know, the government has tried very hard to define what constitutes an essential service. Liquor stores, yes. Cannabis stores, no. Dollar stores, yes. Hardware stores, no. And so on. And yet all of those, those bureaucratic lists, they don't really tell us what's essential. What they really tell us is how much short-term inconvenience we're willing to tolerate for the sake of the wider good of public health. But underneath it all, what this pandemic legislation has really done is provided an unparalleled opportunity for people to ask the bigger questions about their lives. What is it that truly matters? What's a life worth? What's worth dying for? They're they're existential questions. They're life and death questions. They're Easter questions. Normally, those kind of Gut punch questions are reserved for those who face catastrophic events, natural disaster, a a traumatic accident, a cancer diagnosis. Our life flashes before our eyes, and it it can be as illuminating as it is frightening. There was a piece in the Globe and Mail this week uh, that compared the crisis we're in the middle of right now to the plight of cancer patients. It was written by a journalist named Andre Picard. Great name, right? Picard. This is what he wrote. He said, when a person is diagnosed with cancer, their world is turned upside down. Their future is suddenly uncertain. The treatment can be brutal and not always successful. As the coronavirus gnaws away at the world, as cancer does so on an individual, we can learn a lot from the experiences of cancer patients. Treatments for cancer, he writes, can be brutal. And they do a fair bit of collateral damage. Collateral damage is what people are feeling now, he goes on to say, feeling from measures designed to slow the spread of the virus, lockdown and quarantines. Like most cancer patients, the country and the world will survive this epidemic. And like most cancer patients, we will likely also never be the same, at least least we can hope so. He concludes, a surprising number of cancer survivors come out the other end of all of this, seeing the experience as beneficial. Not that it's something they would wish on anyone, but that it's a revelation. 
And they emerge from months of anxiety and suffering and uncertainty, feeling this greater sense of purpose, this newfound appreciation for life. They don't sweat the little things. They appreciate family time a lot more. They're willing to step away from the hamster wheel of work and slow down, and they, they bask in the second chance. Imagine if, Picard asks, imagine if collectively we embrace this global pandemic as an opportunity for that transformation. And what if, instead of stampeding back to all our old ways, we decided to do things differently? What would it look like to treat these quiet days as a doorway, as an open door to something new, as maybe a necessary door to leave something behind? Today, Easter Sunday, I'd like to spend just a few minutes and think with you about three of the most common prisons for which Jesus says, I'm the door out of that. I am the resurrection. I am life beyond that. I'm the exit of all that so something new can begin. I hope you know that the power that raised Jesus from the dead 2,000 years ago, that that same power is available to his people on a daily basis. Listen to what the Bible says. These beautiful words, Ephesians 1, verses 19 and 20. It says, I pray that you will understand how incredibly great God's power is to help those who believe him. It's the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. I mean, whoa, the the same power that blew the door off the tomb of Jesus available to you. He's risen to release you from your prison. And all the more, God has involved himself in your life. And the more of God that you allow into your life, the more free you're going to be, the less uptight, the less restrained, the less imprisoned. The more of God you get into your life, the more free you're going to live. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Galatians 5 says, you are called to be free. That's your calling. God doesn't want you to live these buttoned-down, buttoned-up, constrained lives, but, but a wide-open space life, an abundant life, as the Bible calls it, life to the fullest. But before you can get there, it usually means you've got to exit some other things, and I'm going to give you three. We could probably do three dozen, but, but just three for today. Jesus says, I'm the door. The door to what? I'm the door to freedom. Freedom from what? Number one, the door to freedom from the prison of pretending. What are you on about now, Pastor? The freedom freedom from the prison of pretending. We spend so much of our time, so much of our money, so much of our energy trying to be somebody that we're not. And we're not free. We're, We're not free to live authentic, unencumbered lives. We're worried that people might not like us if they see what's behind the mask. You know, a lot of our people are, are healthcare workers, frontline workers. And if you are, you're wearing masks, and you're wearing masks for so many hours a day now that, that your skin is drying out and blistering and you're succumbing to rashes. Imagine what wearing a mask does to your soul. Some of you have been pretending for so long that you don't know who the real you is anymore, and it's exhausting. What is it that causes people to fall into the trap, into the prison of pretending? Two things, people-pleasing and perfectionism. 
that they pass into the prism of pretending. Here's what the Bible says. Proverbs 29, verse 25, the fear of human opinion disables, but trusting in God protects you from that. The fear of human opinion is a disability, but trusting in God is your protection. You can't please everyone. You don't have to please everyone. You don't need anyone's approval to be happy. How is it that people pleasing disables? Well, you can't fulfill God's purpose if you're trying to be what everyone else wants you to be. You'll miss God's purpose for your own life. It'll stunt your spiritual growth. It will stunt your emotional growth. People pleasing, it's it's a devastating trap. And then there's perfectionism. This feeling that I have to be perfect in order to be loved. Some of you know that all too well. And if that's true, none of us are ever going to be loved. And you probably know this is also true if, if this is an indication of where you're at in your own life, and I know it is in mine. If you're hard on yourself, you're probably hard on other people too. And you're no fun to live with. If I don't like me, if I don't feel good about me, I certainly don't want you feeling good about you. And if I'm harsh on me and judging me because I'm a perfectionist, then I'm going to judge you too. And all of that makes us miserable. It's a prison. We all end up pretending. Here's what the Bible says. Turn with me in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 16, in verse 15. Listen to what it says here. You're always making yourself look good, but God sees what's in your heart. The things that most people think are important are worthless as far as God is concerned. So what's the antidote? If you're taking notes again, let me invite you to write this down. The antidote to perfectionism, switch your focus. Switch your focus to what God thinks. You see, there's only one person who knows you completely, loves you unconditionally, knows exactly what you're created to do. And if you live for God instead of the approval of everybody else, it just simplifies life. Because you're living for an audience of one, not 50 or 500, just one. So many people are scared to death of the rejection of other people because they're focusing on the wrong thing. Here's the antidote. Psalm 119, a beautiful long psalm. 119 verse 45 says, I will live in freedom. That's what God wants you to do. I will live in freedom, and I will only pay attention to what you say, Lord. I'm I'm not picking up my iPhone all the time just to see what what other people think of me. You know, it's, it's probably one of the most dangerous devices in the world. It puts more people in the prison of pretending than anything else, social media. I don't know, are any of you vaguely familiar with it? It's the ultimate comparison game. None of you, none of you have ever woken up first thing in the morning and taken a picture of yourself and put it on Instagram the minute after you open your eyes. That's the real you. I mean, you look at the picture, you can almost smell the, bo- the bad breath. But no, on Instagram, we only show our manicured fake self, our ideal self. And when the gap between the ideal you and the real you is so big that it causes stress, it leads to anxiety. And study after study after study have shown that Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat, as powerful as those tools are, have led to skyrocketing levels of depression and dissatisfaction and self-harm. Why? 
because we're comparing ourselves to everybody else. God never says compare yourself to someone else. It's, it's like comparing submarines and tangerines. They sound alike, but they're not the same. There's nobody like you. And so Jesus says, I'm the door out of the prison of perfectionism, of pretending, of people-pleasing. Let me give you another one. Number two, this one's probably even more common. Jesus is the door to freedom from the prison of unforgiveness. How many of you need that in your life? You need unforgiveness. You need to ask for it. You need to offer it. You need to accept it. You need to give it. When I hurt other people, I'm overcome with guilt. I need to ask for forgiveness. When other people hurt me, I'm filled with resentment, and and I need to offer forgiveness. And if you don't, if you don't, unforgiveness becomes a prison, and it keeps you stuck, and you cannot walk through the doors into the life that God wants you to live. You can't walk through all those other opportunities until you walk out of this prison, this, this trap of unforgiveness. You're sitting there this morning at your table and on your couch, and and suddenly there's a person that comes to mind. You've been holding on to that person. Whatever it is about that relationship, you just can't stand to let it go. They hurt you so badly, the very thought of them gets your blood boiling. This is Easter. Let it go. It's how you get out of that prison. Let it go. You say they don't deserve to be forgiven. Deserve has nothing to do with it. You and I didn't deserve to be forgiven, but that's what this weekend is all about. Forgiveness is not about deserving. You forgive them because you want to get on with your life. And if you're struggling with that idea, remember this. You will never have to forgive anybody else more than God has already forgiven you. Remember that forgiveness is always in your own best interest because resentment just makes you miserable. You've heard this said before, but, but it's such a valuable metaphor. Holding on to that kind of hurt is it's like drinking poison and hoping it kills the person you hate. You forgive. I hope you've thought about this. You forgive because you're going to need more forgiveness in the future. I don't know about you, but I'm not through making mistakes. I plan on making at least a few more in my life, and I'm going to need forgiveness. We can't receive what we're unwilling to give to other people. How do you expect others to forgive you and God to forgive you if you're unwilling to forgive someone else? What you're really doing is burning the bridge that you need to get it across yourself. So you have the prison of pretending. You have this prison of unforgiveness. Here's the third one, probably the biggest of them all. Jesus Christ, the resurrection and the life is the doorway to freedom from the prison of fear. Over these past four weeks, we have been invited more than any other topic to address the subject of fear. Fear is a prison. You may call it worry. You may call it anxiety. You may say, I feel stressed or anxious, but it's fear. And it locks you away and it limits your life. You know, even on that very first Easter day, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus rose from the grave, the disciples still didn't know whether they could believe the news or not. They hadn't seen him yet. They were scared to death. I want you to listen to this description from John in chapter 20. Chapter 20, verse 19. 
That evening, the disciples met behind doors that were locked. They were locked out of fear. They're probably thinking, they crucified Jesus. Maybe they're coming to get us next. But then suddenly Jesus shows up in the middle of them. The door's still locked. He just shows up. He stood in the middle of the crowd and he says, peace be with you. Why are the doors locked? Fear. Fear always locks people out. It locks you in. It locks others out. Who who have you locked out of your life because of fear? I'm never going to let another man hurt me like that. That's a prison. I'm never allowing a woman to get close to me again like that. It hurts too much. Friends, love hurts. That's just part of the story. You can't love without hurt. There's no such thing. Part of love is pain. You say, how do I stop the hurt? I only know one answer to that. You die. (laughs) It's not a good one. You're going to have hurt the rest of your life because the world is hard and it's broken and it's sinful. But all you do is compound it when you build a prison out of fear. I wonder again on Easter, on this Sunday morning, who is it that you may have locked out of your life because of fear? Maybe some of you have even locked God out of your life. You've relegated him to the sidelines. You don't need to be afraid of God. You know, he loves you more than any man or woman ever will. He'll never love you more or less than he does right at this moment. It's, it's an unconditional love. It's not based on what you do. You can't make God love you more, but you also can't make him love you less. You can try, but you'll fail. Because God's love is not based on what you do. It's based on who he is. Because God is love, you don't need to be afraid of God. But I know that sometimes in fear we lock him out just like we've locked others out. There's an antidote to fear in life. And here it is. Every time you feel yourself starting to panic, overwhelmed and overcome with wave after wave of fear, would you pause and remember something? This is something rooted in the very character of God. 1 John 4, verse 16. If you have your Bibles, This is a verse that should be underlined and highlighted and set in bold. 1 John 4, verse 16 says, God is love, and whoever lives in love lives in God, and God is in him, and there is no fear, because perfect love drives out all fear. When you invite God's presence into the front door of your mind, fear goes out the back door, because love and fear cannot exist together. Maybe you're in a relationship and there's fear in it. If that's the case, it's not perfect love. It may be abuse. It may be lust. It may be immature, but it's far, far from perfect. In real love, there is no fear. Perfect love drives out all fear. And so here's the antidote. The more I invite the presence of God, the love of God into my life, the less fearful I'm going to be the more confident, the more courageous, the more strong. And I can handle things because I know God is with me. 
remember the love of God. And remember this. God specializes in bringing good things out of bad times. He turns crucifixion into resurrection. God is a specialist. Anybody, after all, anybody can bring good out of good. Only God can bring good out of bad. So he can take all the bad stuff, all the fearful stuff that's happening in your life right now, and can actually bring something beautiful out of it. We know, Paul says in Romans, we know in all things, God is at work for the good of those who love him. Even this, even COVID-19, even mothballed churches, even housebound believers. Behold, he says, I have set before you an open door that no one can shut. Tired of being in prison? I know we're tired of being cooped up in our homes, but I want you to think about the deeper incarceration, the prison of pretending. You're tired of that drain on your life because the constant grip of resentment has strangled you. Tired of living in a prison of fear. You're just, you're scared to death by everything going on around you. Nobody knows just how much it's shaken you up, but God does. You know, the worry goes down when the worship goes up. Worry goes down when worship goes up, when we allow God's healing, loving presence to flood through our lives and course through our veins. I'm the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. Beautiful promise for the future, but not just that. It begins now. Jesus said, I am the door. Have you walked through? Have you walked through that doorway to freedom? And just to be clear, I'm not talking about whether you go to church. None of us are going to church these days. I'm not talking about whether you're a religious person. I'm talking about whether you've walked through the freedom that God has imagined for your life. Whether you've begun a relationship with Jesus who loves you. Acts 10.35 says, it makes no difference who you are or where you're from. doesn't matter your ethnic background or your religious background. It doesn't matter what you've done with your life. It doesn't matter who you are or, or where you're watching this. If you want, God is ready to do what he said he will always do. The door is open. He's ready to walk in. You know, I've had the privilege of helping hundreds of people walk through the door. I'd love to help you do so right now if you'll let me. I invite you to do this. Let's bow our heads and I'm going to pray a prayer, a simple prayer. Maybe you just want to say it with me. Just start by saying, me too, God. Me too. Because God, I'm tired. I'm tired of pretending. I'm tired of people-pleasing. I'm tired of perfectionism. God, I'm tired of holding on to hurt. I'm tired of memories that cause me nothing but pain in life. I want to let it go. God, you know all the secret fears in my life. The fear of being found out. The fear of being exposed. The fear of rejection. The fear of this virus. Lord, I bring you the things that have kept me imprisoned, 
the things that I've been ashamed of, the regrets, the resentments, and the worries. Lord, I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to live a wide-open life, a life of freedom. Today, I want to walk through that open door that your son Jesus talked about. You said the door is open to all who look to him, and I want to walk through it. And so today, Lord, as best I can, I'm saying, Jesus, I commit myself to follow you. And I ask you to come into my life, push out all the fear, push aside all the pain. Fill me with a new sense of hope and a settled, lasting peace. And from this moment onward, I want to walk now through all the doors that you've planned for me, all the opportunities. I don't want to live in prison anymore. I'm asking you today, Jesus Christ, to save me. I'm asking that you accept me into your family. And humbly I say this in your name, Jesus' name. Say it one more time together. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Don't abandon yourself to fear or despair. We are an Easter people. And hallelujah is our song. May you and your family be blessed as you celebrate the true meaning of Easter. From the reflection of Good Friday to the power of Easter Sunday. and The promise of freedom and resurrection life. Happy Easter to you all.